Welcome to season six of the Life Giver Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope for your marriage and home. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm a military spouse, clinician, and advocate. And I'm bringing topics that I hear from the service community and counseling room to the podcast. This season, we're talking about what it means to be strong in body, mind, and spirit. And I'm giving you the challenge of rising above your circumstances to become the best version of you. So grab a cup of coffee or head out for that run. We have a lot to talk about. Welcome to the Life Giver Podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers. Um, We are in the middle, I guess, of this um, spontaneous series, this Afghanistan special edition series, where we are answering some of the biggest questions that everybody is wrestling with um, about the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Um, And here we are over a week into this, and it's it's not necessarily getting better. Um, It's it's definitely a very complicated situation. If If Matt was here right now, he'd remind me that there are such things as simple, complicated, and complex. Uh, And this is definitely a complex situation with lots of variables and lots of things for us to process, both the feelings of the thought of ending a two-decade war, and then also seeing a lot of people um, suffering, and and then also the stress of worrying about Americans and allies. It's just a lot of stuff going on. And so One of the big questions that I am seeing on social media and in the media itself, and then also in conversation with families is, but what about the women, right? Like we worked so hard to bring education to women and to girls to um, bring hope for hopefully a next generation for um, even um, boys in Afghanistan as well. And so that was a big part of us being there. And so it is devastating. And there's a lot of feelings associated with the thought of the Taliban taking back over the country. And the big question is, but what about the women? Like, how do we wrestle with that? And how do we, I know we're all feeling very helpless. And and I have to admit, this is a big question for me. This is a big question that I'm having a hard time answering. And so I knew exactly who I needed to bring on the podcast to help me um, answer this question. It's my good friend, Bina Patel. Um, when we were stationed in Charlottesville, we got to work with, I, well, I say we, Bina, I know Matt got to work with you very closely, but, um, but we all got very close and you are a brilliant, brilliant ombudsman that does um, so much great work on helping teams work to better together. Um, but you, especially when I met you, you were this um, and are this amazing expert on female relationships. Um, and you did, um, you came on and did a podcast in one of the previous seasons on bullying at the time. My, my kids were going through a lot of bullying and I was like, I need help, Bina. And you were, um, you were such a strong advocate of that. Since then, you have put out an amazing book called Depicting Female Suicide Bombers, Understanding the Radicalization Process, where you, you're going to have to help me with this, Bina, but you um, studied Islamic women and how they are gradually um, radicalized into a place where they would be willing to become a suicide bomber. And, and what is the thinking and the progress that goes from how does a person get to a place where they would be willing to do something like that? 
And so I knew that you would be the person to help us answer this question of, of what do we do and how do we think through this very complicated situation, complex situation. So, um, Bina, first of all, just welcome to welcome back to the podcast, my good friend. Um, I've missed you so much. And um, I think, would you mind just kind of start off by sharing with everybody a little bit of your background and why this was such a, an interesting topic for you to research and study? Yeah, thank you, Corey. Uh, I'm so happy to be back, and it's great to see you. It's been years, but it's been it's it's just nice to reconnect, and I have the utmost respect for you and what, the work you're doing. So thank you for that. Um, I I do, you know, in my research, I found um, I got into it actually. This was my dissertation I did for my doctoral studies, is to really understand why women, why would somebody want to blow themselves up, and looking at it from a conflict resolution and a peacekeeping perspective, I looked at the environment of of what it entails to, for somebody to go this far. It's one thing to to commit suicide. It's another to actually go through the training and learn to to die like that. That's the training that goes into the radicalization process is literally physically strapping on the bomb, laying down, imagining yourself um, going up to heaven or whatnot, but, you know, carrying that mission out um, and, and that psychology behind it and why the women were doing it. So that was the biggest question, why? So when we look at the environment in these war-torn uh, zones, actually, in these, in these countries, what's the alternative to live? And that's what it comes down to. It's desperation and suicide bombings were considered the most legitimate way of dying. They still are. They're still used today, not as much, um, or they go unreported. That's the other thing. Um, but in Afghanistan over the past few years, we've seen quite a few actually um, with our folks out there, our military and our civilians who serve out there. And it's it's incredible the images that I've had to see um, of how the bodies are charred um, while in position to fight holding a gun, right? It's, it's very scary. Um, but people, women do this because what they they have no rights. They have they are treated worse than you can imagine. They're raped sometimes at a young age. They're no longer useful for their family or their husbands, or they just don't belong. And or they have a stigma of some sort. If they have a disability or they can't produce children, um, you know, they go through this this depression. And it's it's not even a clinical depression. It's not that it's 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 but it's systemic, um, or that they. They are raped so that they become suicide bombers and they're fed into that mentality that, oh, now you're raped. You're not somebody who is good enough to marry because you're dirty. Um, so that was happening in Iraq for a while when we went after, um, before the formation of ISIS um, and during it, we found that women were kidnapped and raped and then sent off to do suicide bombings, um, not understanding that this was all part of the strategy, but the fact that this was happening. And on another notion, in other countries, we've seen that women are doing it because, you know, they, they say it's for their country, but they're buying into it because family members are have done it or that family members are recruiting them, such as their brothers or their husbands or whatnot. Um, what we do find interesting, and, and I've seen these videos before uh, they actually go live to do it, are kids who, who become suicide bombers. They are, it's so easy, especially teenagers, to brainwash them and make them understand how great it will be. They can be this hero. But when you actually see the fear in their eyes when they're selected for a mission to carry out, they're scared. And it's sad. It's sad to see that. Um, so when we look at Afghanistan, we, we have to understand the history 
of what happened in Afghanistan and, and the women of Afghanistan. Um, and what, what I want to show, show here is that over the course of, of Afghans rule, they've had four constitutions. So not only have they attempted to try and set up their own uh, government because they had a monarchy back in the 20s, 1920s. Um, and even beyond that, that these, these four constitutions were really created to um, provide education to girls, to those who belong to the peasant classes or the lower classes, right? Um, and also to do away with the veil, to provide equality for the women and, and, and fight for women's rights. So, you know, since the 1920s, that was when the first constitution was created in 1923. The second one was in 1964. The next one thereafter was in 76. And then as recent as 1987, um, is that, you know, the, the idea of these constitutions was, were, it was to enshrine equality for women and girls specifically, but also for the very poor, to give them equal rights. It was like a democratic process, kind of like what we have here in the United States, where they can go to school, they can become educated, they're not forced into child marriages, they're not forced to wear the veil. Um, the idea was to modernize um, the Afghanistan and the intent was there. What's happened over time, I will tell you, is that when we've had Western countries invade, and this is excluding the United States of what we see today, because we've been there, we brought a lot of reform, actually restored the reform that they wanted to have or they've been trying to have, is that when when some of these female monarchs or, or the queens that have been there who are pushing for women's rights, creating women's magazines, um, you know, telling them, empowering them to be independent. And that started with uh, Queen Soraya, Soraya, that's how you say her name with an S, um, in the 1920s. She was a huge advocate to the point where she wore Western clothes. Like in the 1920s, the flapper dresses and such. She ate with the men, with the dignitaries, with the male dignitaries. And she did this when she was in Europe, but it became a political battle battle when when Afghanistan had a meeting with Lenin back in the 20s and the British did not like it because they invaded Afghanistan and they didn't succeed initially and to to maliciously uh, throw out throw this culture under the bus thinking saying you know look at this modernization that's coming they release these images of her um, and and when they returned back her and her husband returned back to Afghanistan, they were on a tour to, into Europe. Um, they were overthrown, and then you see the the um, the traditional, the conservative Islam coming back into practice in and out. And so now we see that today where, you know, the reform was there. So the women have suffered a lot is what I'm saying. They saw modernization, they were part of it. And then they were forced into going back to this conservative movement or this um, where they're forced to like wear their traditional garbs, the, the hijab, well, it's the abaya, the long one that covers the face, covering their arms. There's no education, there's child marriages. It's what's it's happening right now where girls as young as nine and 10 are being forced into um, a marriage, child marriages. And what we're seeing on the news right now is that the Taliban, it's a very charismatic Taliban, right? Like it's very strategic. And they know that over the past 20 years, U.S. has not only brought the reform, but created the equality, created the independence, emboldened women to be who they are, kind of like what we have here in America. Um, but th so their strategy is such that we're going to go along with this. But in reality, their doctrines don't support it. Their doctrines are also part of the Wahhabism that comes out of Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia does have a hand in this, unfortunately. And so even their women, if we look, 
are not fully modernized. They're not allowed to be modernized. So here in the, with the Taliban, it's all going backwards. But what we have to understand, and the media sometimes doesn't report this, is that the women are protesting. There are protests with women, journalists, uh, women who are educated, women who are professional sports players coming out and saying, we are not going to tolerate this. We're going to fight for independence. So they're willing to die. And out of this message, what we can take away is that these women are resilient. They're raising their kids to be resilient. They're raising their girls to be resilient. Um, and they will fight for it. Will they succeed? I don't think so. Um, as as long as there is, you know, if NATO's not going in anymore, if everybody's pulling out, the allies are pulling out. I think to a certain extent they will be overpowered, um, and they will it, they will be set back, um, and it will go back to very a very traditional mindset. And it's unfortunate because you know these women were forced when the Taliban started coming into what is Kabul, right? The the Kabul led. Taliban is what it's called. Or, um, we see women uh, running to get the abayas so much so that they're actually, they've run out. Like there's a demand for the abayas and the hijabs right now because people are scared or they're hiding in place. Um, and they're not hiding because they're afraid. They're hiding because they don't have uh, the, the, the physical appearances to go out there to protest. And the women who I saw this morning that were protesting, the journalists, um, they're not fully covered. They have the hijab, the headpiece. They are in American clothes, Western clothes, um, but they're out there protesting. Either they'll be killed and executed, they'll be forced into marriage, they'll be tortured. But the, but what we have to take away from this is that at least they're fighting for this, for their rights. Um, and as far as the trauma that they will experience, it's very sad. Um, this is like kind of like the Arab Spring, um, what we see the protests in Iran, what we see um, the protests uh, to a certain extent in Saudi Arabia, um, which, which gets shut down quickly, right? We don't hear much about it or those in Egypt. Um, this is a long road ahead, but the women are resilient. And now with the U.S. support and what has been for 20 years, they're far more advanced, far more educated. They've got more opportunities. So as we can bring them here, I think the trauma that goes with um, our folks out, uh, our soldiers, um, and even civilians who are supporting, um, who are deployed right now and supporting Afghanistan, just think you have done a lot. There's only so much you can do, you're overpowered, but take it for moment for moment. The water you give a child, a child the, the baby you hold or, or the mother you help, take take the good from that because there's only so much you can do because you are overpowered and there's not enough resources um, out there right now to help fight this battle. Because the idea is for us, to, is for our soldiers is to come back home. This was planned out well over four years ago um, where the Afghan government knew the U.S. was going to pull out. I think President uh, Trump had mentioned that in his administration that come May 2021, the United States is pulling out. President Biden extended it to July 2021 and now to August, which their Taliban is rejecting. So this, this was going to come out. This transition was going to happen. And what's happening is to be expected. Unfortunately, the violence, the kill killings, the debts. Now, I I do think, and I spoke to my dad about this because he also knows, he probably knows more than I do about this area. Um, and he's, he's educated me quite a bit, is that over time, uh, the Taliban is, I think there, he said, according to him, the intent was to have a smooth transition, but we've got ISIS fighters in there um, dressing up as the Taliban and provoking that violence. 
it's happening. It's hard to prove when they look the same, when they dress the same as the Taliban. It's hard to decipher who is ISIS, which members are of ISIS and those of the Taliban, right? So if, even if the intent was there to have a smooth transition, we don't know to what extent it could have been a better transition. Um, the idea here is to make the United States look bad and they are getting bad press. Um, it's unfortunate because it shouldn't take away from the good that's happened over the last 20 years. The U.S. has spent quite a bit of money, resources. We've had a lot of people get killed out there. Um, and, 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 you know, just up to four years ago, Corey, you know, when I was out down in Enjik, I saw many folks get deployed and the, the stories we would hear were incredible. So it goes beyond just helping. We provided and trained with intel and everything. Um, so this was going to happen. Now, how do you deal with the trauma? I know that's the can next I, question. Can I ask you a question real quick? Yeah. Because I want to know the answer to that question for sure. Okay. So please, yeah. let's not forget that one. You know, okay. So when I, when I'm listening to you, Mm-hmm. What I'm hearing you say is that the women are incredibly resilient because, and please correct me if I'm not repeating it back right. Mm-hmm. So the, the women are incre- are incredibly resilient that they have been um, westernized or modernized or given a lot of tools and resources over the last 20 years with, um, with the support that um, we and our allies have given them. And that out of that resilience, um, many of them are protesting. Many of them are standing up and wanting to have something different for their lives rather than it be taken from them. Um, but that you're also saying that, um, it's very likely that it's not going to hold that the conservative movement is going to really come back and that what these women are doing, although noble, um, Mm -hmm. and, and courageous, um, that, Things are not looking good for the women in Afghanistan. So when I hear that, on one hand, I, I feel like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm so like I'm so proud, right? I'm so grateful that they were given the opportunity. And that's one of the things that I think everybody's been passing around is saying, you know, but we did make a difference over those 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, and if, if we had not been involved, then maybe they would not have had the confidence or the worth to, to stand up and protest the way that they are. But then mm-hmm. when I also hear you say that they could be tragically murdered or tortured or whatever, my heart just sinks. And I go, what? Yeah. Like, what do I do with that? Right. What do I do with that? Mm-hmm. So, um, can you speak to that? Can you speak to, um, I mean, I love the fact that you said, and it's so helpful for you to say, this was all always going to happen. We were always going to, to leave. We were always going to, or we always needed to have that plan to mm-hmm. pull out of the country. Um, but it's so hard, Bina, to see people suffer and to, mm-hmm. I think from our modern civilization and with everything that we have and the, and the opportunities that we as women have, it's yeah. really hard to see a country and see a, a group of women treated that way and feel like you can't do something about it. Yeah, I, I agree 100 percent. It's 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 heartbreaking. And when we watch the stories, the narratives of women getting interviewed of how they escaped the Taliban rule. Um, and I, you know, I, I personally think that it's like I think of it this way. Um, it's like the women of Iran and, and they, too, are so resilient and they fight and they fight. They're you know, they're kidnapped. They're flogged, whatnot. They're murdered. You know, it's but they push through and they continue. And I, that's what I see here in Afghanistan with the women. Um, not only have they been educated, but in my opinion, they they're so 
not afraid to die. They're so not afraid to, to fight for what's right, that there's many more of these women who will keep fighting. Just like in our country, a lot of our, our women are historically fought for our rights. And, and that was a tough battle too. Um, you know, so this is more of a recent war that we are living through. We didn't live through what, you know, back in the day, what in, in the United States, what our, what the women lived through to get, you know, for us to even have the uh, ability to vote, right? These women are now doing that there. So that, that reform that was there that the United States brought, and, and they we did a lot of good there for women. We protected them. We protected the children. We protected the, even the men who do fight for women's rights, um, you know, we they had that support uh the women will continue and and i think as long as they they continue in this fight there will be a little bit of change which we'll see years from now like we've seen in saudi arabia with women getting to drive and having the ability to vote um but it's a long road ahead. But just know that what they're doing today, then the best way for us to support them is, is to support their causes. You know, if, if they need us to tweet something and continue those hashtags on social media to bring awareness, then that's the part we play. If they need resources, they need, you know, contributions uh, such as clothing and food or what, whatever they need, we can support them in this way. There are many organizations here in the United States, specifically in the DC, Virginia, Dallas, Texas area, um, where there are nonprofits being set up or nonprofits stepping in, churches stepping in to send resources back. Uh, we also have to see who the United States government has aligned with to send these resources directly, or we send them to the soldiers, the wives of, of, of these wonderful soldiers, and also send things should they need them um, if, if, that's the, if that's the legal route to go, because I know there are legal implications of just sending things, right, to the people out there. So we have to figure out what channels are working to send aid out there and to send the resources and what we can do from here. Because the women are educated. They are educated, um, I would say, even beyond the four years of the university level that we have. We've got doctors, we've got PhDs, we've got journalists, we've got a lot of educated women in Afghanistan. And again, the long road ahead, but they are also training their daughters and their kids as in this too. So we see this, that there's hope for the future, um, but the immediate hope, in my opinion, it's not there. And the best way to deal with this, because the trauma is associated to it on both accounts with the soldiers being there, I think for the soldiers, and I'll speak to that, is that recognize the fact that they are doing the best that they can and under the circumstances that they're given um, and, and the resources that are provided by this administration and by our allies, everyone's doing the best that they can and, and take pride in that. And, and, and leave with that pride. Um, don't don't focus on the negative or focus on what could have been because there's a lot of what could have been. But in, in human nature, our brain processes negativity more, more often and faster at a faster rate and leaves that imprint in our minds and in our hearts more so than the positive that we bring. So the good that you do, you made a kid smile today by giving the little boy water. I mean, I've seen beautiful images out there of our soldiers laughing with the little boys. Take those moments away with you um, that will help you deal with the trauma. And certainly talk about those moments with your spouses at home instead of sharing the bad. But you should, you should, I would say, reach out to, you know, when you get back home or to one another in that environment as soldiers 
and talk about it. If you have a chance to, to talk about it with each other, then talk about it because you have to process this trauma. Everybody's living through it, but each of our experiences are different. Um, you know, for example, Corey and I, you and I could be deployed helping the same group of women, but what you take away and what I experience are two different things, right? So we talk through it with each other when we get a moment and we help process it and then we move on. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that they um, speak to their spouses because sometimes, you know, not being there is even far worse than what we see or what we don't know. Um, that's hard for us to process. And we live with this guilt here as spouses of soldiers. Um, but I would, again, take that energy for the spouses here in the United States um, or wherever you are. Um, if you're if if you're part of uh, an ally country and you've got, you know, spouses, um, if you are a spouse of, of a soldier deployed abroad, think of it this way. Repurpose that energy and, and help with volunteer at a nonprofit. I know there are nonprofits here looking for volunteers just help set up apartments. You, you may not speak the language and you can't interpret or you can't be a mentor, but just be there to do things like that, to donate the goods, um, donate your time, take your kids with you if you can, and, and help set up an apartment. They need help with that. So I would definitely look at the nonprofits and the churches around you um, and, and take that energy and at least you're contributing to those coming here and helping them set up for that life here um, and, and use that as a way to understand that you are doing something and that something is really good. I would also advise stay away from the news. They're showing the same images. I won't lie. Um, there's plenty of good, uh, plenty of good um, resources on YouTube. Gravitas is actually a very good uh, news resource, in my opinion, that's showing the positive aspects, such as women who are protesting. Um, YouTube has that. It's an Indian channel where they will show you different images that you don't see on uh, CNN, BBC, Al Jazeera. They're not showing these images of women um, fighting for their rights, um, or if they are, they're very short clips. So I would, I would definitely. Check that out. Um, but again, you know, what we're hearing is it's very sad, but repurpose that energy because it'll help you really process that trauma and deal with it because you're doing good here because they need help here as well. I, I love that so much. And as you were talking about that, I, I realized because we're only seeing those same clips over and over and over again, um, it's kind of like any other, I don't want to say it's like any other deployment because I don't mean it that way, but sure. you know, when, when our spouse comes home from a deployment and they share certain stories, the only thing we're able to do is picture just the, whatever we were told. Right. But there's so many like moments in between those stories and there's so many other experiences. And so I, it occurred to me, but it's, it is really easy to only um, see the worst of the worst of what's happening mm -hmm. and 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 fear the worst of the worst when that's what what's being reported. <clears throat> but we're not whether it's with our service member who's getting to see those little moments of of mm -hmm. goodness, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's seeing the families that that bypass the system and they're waiting to be evacuated, and actually seeing people um, happy and joyful and excited and and relieved, right? Um, we're not seeing a lot of those images, or we're not seeing like the protesting, like you're talking about, or we're not seeing um, those that aren't fleeing, right? I mean, there's like so, there's got to be like all these other minute stories, right? So on one hand, I feel like we don't have a full, complete picture. We only are, are afraid of the worst of the worst. And, mm -hmm. and that is important because it's real, right? And it is and is actively happening. And that is important. And so I'm not saying that we should minimize that and just sure. only look at good, right? Mm -hmm. But 
I, it's, it's comforting to me to hear that they are, um, more educated than I thought, um, and how exciting that is. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, when you were talking about these women who are protesting, mm-hmm. you brought up, um, us in the United States and our history of protesting, you know, it occurred to me, I think it's, I don't know if I have the words for this fully. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to try to work it out as I'm saying it. Um, mm-hmm. So this is apparently the episode where Corey is processing (laughs) instead of helping everybody else process. But um, it occurred to me, you know, sometimes we take for granted what we have. And and when we are living in a time of comfort where we're not having, you know, we've definitely gone through a lot of racial division where there's been a lot of protesting on that side of things. But when it comes to like um, just the simple right to vote, right? Or if we're just going to talk about what it means to be a woman in America, let's, because that's what this topic is, right? Mm-hmm. We're just talking about what it means to be a woman. You're right. We weren't there when we needed to fight for the right to vote. Um, and and it's, so it's really hard to look at another country that seems that it's so far behind and, and there's mm-hmm. so much controlling them. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes when we're sitting in a place of comfort, it's really easy to get very, very upset um, mm-hmm. at what they're having to face, right? But sometimes when you are in suffering and you have a choice where you are willing to die over something that is important and that it is, it is, it is important for your daughter and it's important for your mother. And it's important. It's like, this is something that has to be, um, something that you're passionate about, passionate enough that you're willing to risk your life to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a majority of our country hasn't been there for a while. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so it's really easy to look at another country and go, that's terrible. And Mm -hmm. it is, Mm -hmm. but it's also beautiful to see people who have been educated, who have now an opportunity to rise up and fight Mm -hmm. for that, even Mm -hmm. though it could be a very difficult struggle. Does that make sense? I'm hoping that came across, yeah. came out the way that I mean for it to come out. Yeah. yeah, beautifully said, beautifully said. And and you did a good job like processing it and understanding there's hope in this and we have to hang on to that hope, right? Just like our, our, our female ancestors had that hope to fight for our female rights in this country and we're benefiting from that today. They are also in Afghanistan doing that today for their girls and for their kids too. Um, and, and so we have to appreciate that and, and recognize the courage these women have because it's an innate courage. It comes from within to, to want to do this, right? It's scary because we're not on that side. We're not there physically. Um, but, and I'm sure if a lot of us were there physically, we too would step in and fight and not have that fear, right? So we have to put ourselves in their shoes and admire that courage. And, and yes, there will be people who will be crushed and they will die, but it's it's like history repeating itself for us here in the United States. Just like we've had protests here, even as of recent, people felt it that powerful to go do, um, to, to go fight for what they believed in. And, and you, you, they're soldiers in their own different ways. And we have to, we cannot take that away from them. Um, and sometimes it's meant for them 
to, mm-hmm. to go through this life path. There's, there's so much spirituality in this as well that it, it doesn't, doesn't justify and say, okay, that that's what they're meant to be and that's their life. No, nobody wants to live this life and nobody wants to wish this kind of life on anybody. But we again, we have to admire their courage and, and work with them. And one of the best things I think media the media can do and what you were doing with your podcast is to show this courage and to recognize it because the day-to-day news isn't necessarily doing that. It's showing these devastating images, but it should also show what these women are doing um, because that footage is going to be even, it's going to be hard to get that, especially as Taliban gains more control. It's going to be very hard. Just like in Iran, we don't hear a lot of the flogging, a, a lot of the, the, the major social media um, journalists, the people who are very popular, get kidnapped and, and get flogged and then they get released, right? But we have to support them because the more that they bring awareness, the more that we should retweet and recognize and, and talk about that because for them, they are fighting for this modernization that the United States brought that, that historically their constitutions have, have written for them, um, but they're just not uh, upheld. And it won't be. This is this is a part of part of uh, the Western nations back in the 1800s coming in. And the British was one of them. And I hate to say it, but um, they created these myths. And this, the credit goes to Vijay Prasad for actually mentioning this in his book, is that, you know, the first myth is that Afghan Afghanistan Afghans are barbarians. Um, he always he said that the myth is that they're perceived as barbarians, um, and perhaps they are savages. Let's say um, in their own ways because they haven't modernized, right? And we shouldn't label them either that way because that is their culture and their tradition. Um, but that Afghanistan is the graveyard of empires, and that's a very derogatory phrase. Um, that I actually uh, agree with him, and it suggests that history, that history itself has created the myth that it, it is, it, it's a graveyard for empires because it's always been a battleground, but it's not always been a battleground. It's, they've tried to set up their own government. They've tried to set up a democracy to a certain extent, even with it's a ruling monarchy. It's, uh, it's called a democratic uh, monarchy. I believe that's the correct term. But the idea is to bring modernization and to help women and children and those who are poor, provide those opportunities like we do in the United States. It's just, you know, when you've got um, other nations that are helping the Taliban, like Pakistan, and you've got Al-Qaeda, other terrorist organizations doing that, or you've got Iran and Russia and China backing the Taliban up, you know, it's going to be a rough road for the women ahead, no doubt. And for the people who who enjoy these 20 years, these golden years, I would say. Um, But it doesn't mean it won't come back. It will come back because now more than ever, um, I would say they're far more independent. They've got more resources. They've got technology. um, And it's going to be a tough battle. But we should take... We should take note of the good that's that's happening here, the courage that's coming I out. so I so appreciate you pointing out that myth because I think that we here are um, definitely working from constructs that may include a lot of those myths. Um, that yeah. I think it's important to have the right information and see it accurately. Um, you mentioned for just a second, there's a lot of spirituality um, behind what the I think you were saying what the women are doing, or or for mm-hmm. them to. Can you speak more about that? 
Yeah. So this, what, what I mean by spirituality is that in, in every, and this is what the Hindus believe in, in our culture, because I'm a Hindu, is that our soul is meant to ascend in every life. So we go through all these obstacles, uh, whether they're complex, complicated, or not so much. Um, but the idea here is to ascend our soul to the point where we don't come back because we believe in reincarnation in our culture. And with each, with each um, uh, experience we go through, whether you know you have a um, a horrific marriage or that you're abused or 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 that you are in a war where you're fighting for those rights you are in a, you're a soldier you are growing your soul to the point where you learn to forgive you learn to fight for what's right you you're more moralistic you speak up for what's right and 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 in that that that's the spirituality of it um and and that comes from within and that's what i meant that that courage to go out there and fight and to protest knowing you could be killed it's coming from that person's soul that's it, it's a very deep and spiritual feeling and and that courage is coming from because it's meant to be in a very lifetime so i'm hearing you say like even it's it's a it's a more mature place of their soul that should be celebrated Mm -hmm. exactly thank you Corey. well said yes and it should be celebrated because their soul is ascending they are creating the pathway for the future but they were probably meant to do this just like Corey, you are creating and bringing this awareness for families of soldiers, being a spouse yourself of a soldier, right? What this entails, all of this knowledge, all of this courage, this the way we fight, and it could be, and what I mean by that is very rhetorical in a sense, we're not physically fighting, but we're, we're educating, we're bringing information, we're fighting for the rights of women through like your, the podcast and the research and, and all that that we do, right? It's, it's all part of our soul journey and the soul ascension. And that comes down to what do we take as we grow and, and in each life, um, you know, when we say that that person's an old soul, it's because they've lived another life. They're mature. Um, they understand. They're they have that wisdom from a very young age. We've seen kids who you're just like, oh my god, you sound like my grandfather. Like, where did this wisdom come from? But in Hinduism, we actually believe that when when you die, your soul moves on. Your physical body is gone, but the knowledge that you gain in this life, based on your experiences, your education, um, wherever you picked up this knowledge, right, it goes with you to the next life and you grow that. And so with that, you've got soldiers. And I would say we're all soldiers of God. There's no, there's no doubt about it. How, what are, what is meant for us and how we, we are in this life is because we have a path, right? Um, and, and that path may come from God because uh, in, in our culture, we do believe that there's a level that you do reach, uh, you get to visit God before you're brought down here um, for your next journey. And that's doing God's work. So while you, Corey, are doing this as part of God's work, and not to get very religious on this um, for your viewers, but it's to understand that this is also part of the soul's journey, where when we have our soldiers who have that innate desire to sign up and be part of the military and go fight, that courage, we don't take that, that away from them because that is part of their journey, part of their soul's journey. Same with the women here in Afghanistan, in Iran, in Iraq, anywhere we look, they are here for a mission, their own mission, whatever that is. And that courage that comes from within, we should celebrate that because that gives them um, you know, more power. It, it'll reach them somehow. We don't know. But there's a lot in spirituality that we're still learning, but they will reach that. Just like when we believe in God and we pray, we pray for these women out there. Keep at it because it will reach them, you know, so that it's a spiritual journey. And that's what I meant by that. 
And so have you found in studying um, these women of Islam, have you found that that it's also tied to their faith and to their own spiritual journey? Or how does that compare to that Hindu line of thinking? Um, When you see them like radicalized versus when you see them standing up for themselves, like that's the whole other extreme, right? Either you have radicalization on one extreme and then you have standing up for yourself on the other extreme. it, does faith and spirituality play a part in that? Uh, and, and I th- yes, I think it does. I think I think what we have to understand is that, um, and not everyone I would say in that environment gets to see this. It really depends on who you're with in that environment that gives you that courage to fight um, or that you're radicalized because that's all you see and you're exposed to over and over again. But what we have to understand, and this is where perhaps the media from the West can come in and really educate and support the, the, the women of Afghanistan here in the United States or in, in London or wherever, is that that, you know, the Quran, and this is my father's um, knowledge, so credit to him, the Quran and the Islamic texts have been changed over time. The Taliban has almost rewritten the Quran to suit their purpose, as has Al-Qaeda, as has ISIS, um, as has Saudi Arabia. So what the the spirituality that is part of the Quran, that was part of the original Bible, I would say, part of Hinduism, it's all very similar um, in terms of how how we should be as human beings and 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 where what spirituality is but it's the reformation of religion that's taken um that's taken a bigger step and changed the way we think it's forced our way of thinking um so that we don't question it right so when we look at the taliban and how how they have changed their text to suppress women and say that the original islamic uh, Quran does not say that. Muhammad never, the prophet never said to, on the contrary, he, you know, he married several women to protect them, not for polygamy, but it was misconstrued over time as it was passed down verbally. Um, there's a lot that has come into play for all the religions, the four major religions of the world, where women are suppressed, Judaism, Hinduism, Um, Islam and Christianity, women are suppressed if we look very much on the same level to the extent to which uh, we have modernization come into play and the rights we have in the countries that we live in allows us to understand and through education, I would say, to question what is right for what God intended to what is today. So, so we have to look at these scriptures because there's a good book out there. It's called Women Believing Women in Islam. Um, it is my favorite book. I read it, I don't know, I would say seven years ago. I still reread it to this day. But it talks about how the Quran is, is really there for women's rights. But what has been misinterpreted is what we're seeing today um, with the women, the females getting suppressed. And it's, it's across the board. It's across the board. Wow. So, um, so it really does put into perspective, like just how important that education is for those women and, and how amazing and how important it is for them to, to protest the way that they are to have the right for that education so that they can look for that themselves, right. Mm -hmm. To be able to pass that right information down, um, rather than what's been adjusted. Um, I'd love to go back just for a second where you were talking about, um, how all of us have that opportunity within our souls to be courageous, to be those warriors, to make those choices. Like I, I kind of heard in what you were saying, the importance of all of us having that opportunity to make that choice, depending on our level of maturity and, and also what we in, intentionally want to do when we are faced with suffering, when we are faced with that obstacle, right? And, and those obstacles are opportunities to grow, opportunities mm-hmm. to be challenged, um, to become a better version 
version of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. I think every, almost every faith system believes that, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, you were kind of, go- and I stopped you a little bit, but you were going into like, how do we um, wrestle with this on our side, right? How do we um, deal with this trauma on our side that we're, that especially our service members are being exposed to. But as you were talking, I, I'd love for you to speak on this, but I was picturing so many of our service members when I'm getting a lot of questions, like I'm worried about my service member going over there. And, and I've, I've heard even somebody on the news, them talking about how the PTSD that they think that they're going to have from Mm -hmm. the humanitarian crisis that's happening right now is worse than anything that they experienced in combat. Mm -hmm. And, um, just because we are dealing with so many women and children, um, Mm -hmm. or they are, And so as you were talking about, um, these kind of warriors and, and how we all are in a sense, our souls are warriors for something, right? Mm -hmm. I was just kind of picturing that we have the opportunity to face that situation with Mm -hmm. a new perspective, maybe Mm -hmm. to, to, um, figure out how, um, how to fight through that. I don't know if, if you know what I'm kind of getting at here, but I was wondering if you could kind of speak to that, like, what would you say is that we can do that would be a mature, um, kind of next level kind of, um, growth mindset to the challenges of not only pushing through watching this happen from here, but also if we're faced with it there. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a great question. It's a two part question. Um, I think for our members there, um, th- no doubt they will have trauma. Um, this is another level of war, I would say. It's one thing in combat where you're killing adults. <laughs> it's another when you see a child die. That trauma is is it's almost I would say close to transgenerational trauma. While it's not physically passed down, what we're finding in psychology today um, and is that. Transgenerational trauma is also happening through narratives and um, what they've experienced, these stories that are coming about. Um, With the PTSD, yes, it's to be expected. They have to get the help that they need. Crisis counselors, I would say, therapists, psychologists, um, even child psychologists can almost help you. I know the Army has great great child, uh, great neuropsychologist to help you process this, um, take advantage of it. Uh, and, and I know there, there, perhaps there is a stigma, but, but that's also changing with the military's perspective of handling trauma, because it's one thing to see an adult die, as I said earlier, but it's another to actually see that child. Cause you think about it, that could be my child. Like that's how we're processing this. Right. Um, if, if, and this is of no comfort at all, but but let me let me share this perspective. And this is something my dad told me over the weekend, um, because we we debate quite a bit on these topics. Um, is that whether they die, whether they die in front of you or at the hands of the Taliban, think think of it this way: if if they had survived. Imagine the terror and and the the physical um, trauma they would go through in dying as opposed to them dying of dehydration, for example, right? Um, it's, 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 and I don't want to minimize a death because I, it's, that's not about that, but they, the, the way they would die, the way the Taliban kills is so gruesome. It's awful. It's, it's, 
they beat you, they stone you, they whip you, uh, they behead you, whatever the case is, would you really want a child going through that or a woman? It's And it's it's genetically or, or as, as mammals, it's tough to see, um, especially for men, women and children go through this, no doubt. Um, but would you rather that they die at the hands of the Taliban or they die in front of you trying to um, trying to escape? So, so remember that courage that they're trying to escape, right? Give them kudos for that. Mm-hmm. Um, because if they got stuck there and, and they weren't trying to escape because now they can't, imagine how else they would have died or what their life would have been like under the Taliban regime. Because it's going to go back to what it is. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, this is a far more charismatic Taliban than we've ever seen. And they're doing this. It's a ploy. It's a facade uh, to, to show the U.S. we're here for a peaceful transition. Yes, that's great and all. But we know in reality, they're going to go right back to what the suppression is going to be. And that includes torturing women and just flog- like just whipping them. They could be walking, just imagine walking in the street, just getting whipped for no reason, or that, you know, a little bit of your ankle is showing. I mean, it's just your skin is showing. So, so I I think that I think we have to put it into perspective that, you know, it's sad to see all those men and women who jumped on that airplane, um, the cargo plane coming back and they died, but they were willing to die that way because that was the best alternative for them. Um, Just like the suicide, female suicide bombers, and I hate to even label it as that, um, just like the women who've strapped themselves and died the way they've died, uh, you know, they realize after the fact, those bombs, when they don't detonate, or let's say they get stuck in Afghanistan, I'm comparing here to, to scenarios. Um, But they realized maybe that wasn't the way to go. But what is the next best alternative is to go through this hell, to live in this hell, right? Um, And so, so unfortunately, they will die. We just don't know how long it'll take or for what how they will go. Um, and, and, and sometimes that's even harder to process mm-hmm. than to see them just go in front of you. So I don't want to minimize the death. I don't want to minimize the trauma, but, but putting it into perspective, cause this is a war zone now more so than ever. And, 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 and it's worse because there are women and children in the front lines here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but how else would you want them to go? Is, is my question. It's such um, a hard truth, mean? but I appreciate it so much because I, I appreciate you challenging me and our listeners to think that way, especially mm-hmm. with something that we don't have any control over and we feel helpless to do anything about. And so what I hear mm-hmm. you saying is, you know, we kind of, when we, when we are that helpless and we can't do anything about it, it's, it is, how do we shift mm-hmm. the construct in our mind? How do we reframe something? Mm-hmm. Not, not reframe it in a way that is less true or that we're Mm -hmm. making up something, but it it is still very true. And it's true of that culture. And it's true of um, the choices that they're Mm -hmm. making as well. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it was really hard for people to see people like passing babies, you know, dangerously, you know, through the crowd or over gates. Um, I heard of someone throwing a child over the gate and a a soldier caught it and then later (laughs) returned it back to the mother. And it's just heart wrenching to hear these things. Like, how could this be happening? Happening. But I, I hear what you're asking us to do is to reframe it, right? That's hard to understand why none of us would ever pass a small child off as if like, we're never, we're never going to see this child again. Please take my child like that. None of us can understand that mm-hmm. when we can shift that construct and reframe it and say, mm-hmm. This was an act of courage that they are doing something, the best thing that they could possibly do for that child. That's the thinking that they are, that they have, and that that is um, courageous. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not um, 
crazy, right? It's, it can be, we can think of it from a perspective of courage and desperation, which is sad, but Mm -hmm. also just, I love the fact that you're challenging us to think of Mm -hmm. it in light of their culture in light of their choices and their Mm -hmm. options. And Mm -hmm. that, um, this was the best choice that they felt like that they could have. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yes. This makes it even harder, right. For us Mm -hmm. to say, Mm-hmm. You know, the people that aren't getting that opportunity who are awaiting the really mm-hmm. difficult times to come, that is, that's hard for us to sit and wait for that, mm-hmm. um, helplessly wait for that. Um, can you, um, you I, I have, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I have one more thing to add. Um, please, please, and, please. and, and I think this, this goes unchecked a lot and it's not because we don't know it. It's because it's hidden, um, in Afghanistan. And this is all over the middle East. Beautiful boys are often raped. Sodomy is very much alive. So imagine the families who have helped the United States and Western countries with intel, with interpretations, et cetera. What will happen to those kids down the road? If they're not killed, they're going to be raped. So just, just let's put that into perspective. So if they die in front of a soldier because let's say the baby was thrown and wasn't caught, let's say, right? I mean, is that the next best thing as opposed to knowing that your kid could end up in a worse fate, right? So so a lot of the times, because sodomy is considered quote unquote taboo um, in, and, and they don't, and, and, and these, these radical cultures, I would say, wouldn't even, because the actual Islam and Islamic culture is not radical. It's actually a very peaceful religion is, is that there are, there are these practices that are going on and they hide it well. Saudi Arabia is known for sodomy. They hide it really well. Um, Iran, Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, there's a good a YouTube video out there. And this was very hard for me to watch. So I'm give your viewers a heads up here. It's called the Dancing Girls of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. But these are actual males who've been forced into this world where they're forced to dance. They're known as the, ch- or they're chai boys. They bring tea. Um, you know, they're beautiful boys. They're, they're blue eyes, just lovely to look at. But because they're so beautiful, they're raped. Mm-hmm. And they think it's okay to rape them. So, so for your viewers, understand that the alternative is even worse. It's even worse. So what do we do with that, Bina? Like, what do we do? Um, I liked where you were going as far as like, what can we do with those that we're receiving, right? Like that's something that we could possibly have control over because um, Mm -hmm. I love the honesty of this conversation. Like um, as much as I would love for these conversations to be like all the happy things and like we can tie a nice little bow on it. This is what's so hard about this Mm -hmm. question about, you know, what about the people that are Mm -hmm. being left behind? And I appreciate so much us having a very honest conversation that there is both great courage um, happening, um, and great hopeful things are happening, um, and hopeful things that came out of our time there and our investment mm-hmm. there. And yet there's also devastation and there's also great sadness and there's also great, um, suffering that is not only happening, but that we could potentially, um, await to happen. Right. And that's the truth. That's, what's really mm-hmm. hard about this is that it's true. So I guess, you know, is there any um, specific nonprofits? Is there any specific thing that you can, like, how are you processing this, Bina? And what is it making you want to do with the information that you have? How are you processing through what you're seeing? And maybe that would help us give some ideas on what we can do 
um, actively that helps. Um, and I don't know if I want us to feel better, right? Like, I don't know if I necessarily want us to all like feel better by like this one little thing that we do. Like there's something human about suffering alongside people. Right. And yeah. not trying to numb that out, but I know that what everybody's asking is what can I do? What can I do? So how are you processing through this? Um, and what, what would you encourage us that we could do and how we could get involved? Yeah, I, I will tell you, um, like everyone else, I was upset yesterday. I cried a lot, um, but I was angry. So like, just like grief, we go through these emotions, these up and downs. Um, and, and you know, I was angry when I first saw what was happening. I was angry. I was upset. I I, I cried a lot. And then I, you know, it, it sucks to feel sad. Let's just put it that way, right? It, it just, and you're, if you're not a sad person in general, it's really hard to even deal with yourself when you're going through this. But I... I am looking for actual nonprofits to go out there and to give my time because I don't want to give money per se. I don't mind giving money. I don't mind donating the clothes and, and the additional furniture that I have, but I want to give my time. And if I can go sub, set up an apartment, I'm going to do that because I, I don't speak um, uh, their language. I don't speak um, uh, the, the dialects that are in Afghanistan and these people are coming, but know that they do speak English because a lot of them help the United States, right? So they do speak English, but go provide them with that type of stuff. Listen to their stories, be a ear for them and, and take this and don't judge them, but rather, and don't feel sorry for them, but celebrate their courage with them because it took them, it took a lot of them to leave their homes, to come here. And you, we think that it was the best choice. Yeah. They didn't have a choice. They imagine all that they left behind photographs, um, pictures, uh, um, 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 storybooks for their children, things, things that, you know, but, but, be a support for them um, and, and do it for everybody equally. So I wouldn't, I would say that don't get so emotionally attached, but it's really hard for you to even separate yourself because you have to put boundaries on yourself as well, because you have your own family and you, your own life to live, but support them in that. So go, if you can go twice, uh, twice a week in the evenings to, to go help out, if you've got the nonprofits near you, then please do so, because that's what we can do and, and, and stay away from, from the day-to-day -day news look for I would go on YouTube that's what I did today and, and looked just typed in Afghan women protesting mm -hmm. the Taliban and that's what I typed in because I want to see the strong women that are doing because I know they're doing it we just don't hear about it and, and uh, there are all these videos news clips that popped up so so look at all that and celebrate that and tweet that and put that out in social media just don't keep looking at the negative but look at that as well and admire them for what they're doing and then I would say ultimately it's in God's hands pray um, and you know I'm not very religious I'm very spiritual but at the end of the day, you can only hope that it goes that far, um, that your prayers are reached. And, and there's power in that. We know that, Corey, right? So um, there's power in prayer. Um, but but give your time because that's how I'm processing it. I'm, I'm going to go twice a week. And, and if I can, or even over the weekend and set up to set it up, if I can give a couple of hours every other day or so, then I'm going to do that. Um, but but not let it uh completely shift my life because this is this is a long road ahead for us here in the United States as well as those folks in Afghanistan and if they have family there and they want to send stuff back then whatever you give them help them find a way to send it back 
take them to the you know the USPS uh, store, the UPS store, wherever whoever is taking the stuff um, to ship it back home. Help them with that kind of stuff. It's the little day to day things that we don't think would help them. Help them go get their groceries for them. Um, I'm not saying you should buy it for them, but take them with you to the grocery store and show them around because they're going to need all that too. This is a new norm for them and they have to adjust. So help them assimilate um, and appreciate what they're bringing because we have to learn their culture too and appreciate their culture. That's going to help us grow. Um, and if you've got kids who are old enough to come along and be tagged along, show them that if, if the nonprofit allows you, then do it because at least your kids will learn um, what how bad the situation is, but also what the reality is out there. Well, and who better to do that than military families who know what it's like to be in a brand new place and not know where anything is and to be desperate for someone to come and serve. And, um, and also isn't that what America really is about is to be able Mm -hmm. to give somebody and provide somebody that freedom, um, Mm -hmm. of religion, freedom of culture, right. And, Mm -hmm. um, an opportunity. And so, Mm -hmm. um, what a, what a joy that we get to be able to offer that. And I know that there's so many opinions and I know that there's like so many feelings. And again, you know, we could go on for a really long time (laughs) about all the different rabbit holes that we could go down. And I'm so fascinated. I wish I could do so much more. (laughs) But um, Bina, this was so enlightening for me and it was so um, comforting. And again, I so appreciate the really hard truth paired with the things that we can do. And um, and I'm really excited about it. And it reminds me of a video that I posted yesterday of some of our service members in Germany that are setting up places to, to receive a lot, <clears throat> a lot of these families. And you know, the soldier that was, um, being highlighted as kind of the, one of the commanders that setting that up in Germany was one of our soldiers from our, um, deployment to Afghanistan in Colorado Um, back in our first deployment. And so to see how such great healing and meaning can come from your experience in Afghanistan, sometimes it just takes time, right? It takes time for things to unfold and somehow things tend to come like full circle. Right. And so here, you know, here's this soldier who, went to Afghanistan. We had a horrific deployment there. Now he's a commander that's setting up space to welcome in those that have evacuated from Afghanistan. And and what I can only imagine what that would do for his heart. Maybe I need to get him on the series too. Right. Um, so Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say if you could get him on the series and he yeah. can share how to help his his uh, his um, what he's doing and get volunteers to help him. That would be awesome. That Again, would be so awesome. that trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And I will I will reach out and see if I can find some more information. Thank you for that idea, Bina, um, mm-hmm. and put that out um, as well as um, any nonprofits. I know that there are a couple people have sent me some nonprofits. Bina, um, I'll reach out to you afterwards and see if we can nail down a couple nonprofits that you trust. Um, sure. and post those as well for people to get involved. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your, um, for your experience, for your passion on this, for the years that you spent studying this. Um, you know, I can only imagine, you know, when you're going through a dissertation, you're really hoping that it's going to, it's going to matter, right? Like yeah. the people are going to yeah. listen and, and here we are years later and it still means something. And it's a whole new layer of, of the important information that we all need and how to understand an entirely different culture that's going through something that we feel so helpless about. So thank you for writing the book. Again, the book is depicting female suicide bombers, understanding the radicalization 
innovation process by Bina Patel. Um, and Bina, I mean, you've, you're doing so much great work. If people want to see other things that you're doing, I know for a while there, you were putting out some stuff. Is there a place that people can, can follow up with you? Yeah. I mean, feel free to give them my email, um, Corey at, at, um, you can give my personal email, which is Bina Patel 33 at gmail.com or Bina at transformational paradigms.com. Um, I have a conflict resolution, uh, consulting business that I run on the side, but it all sort of uh, comes together when it comes to what, when we talk about women's rights and, and, uh, the studies abroad of, of Islam and, and all that, because all, I see all this as contributions to research for our future generation here in the United States and, in the Western world. Um, I've had uh, women actually from Europe reach out to me to help them support their dis uh, uh, dissertations and their research with what I've come. And I, I asked them to please contribute to keep adding to it. We need those contributions. What I said was I added to what I knew, and now we need more. Um, and so that's what I ask. Um, so if you want to reach out, feel free to reach out. Um, I would love to hear from you. And if I can help you in any way or help your kids in any way, I don't mind at all. I will make that time. And Corey, I mean, I, thank you for having me. I'm so honored. Like this is, thank you. This has been wonderful. No, it's thank you. And I, I just love you so much. And I'm so glad our paths crossed. I'm so impressed with you. I'm fascinated. I'm like a fan. Um, <laughs> I like <it. laughs> we, we, um, we really enjoy those deep dives and the thinking that goes um, into how do you change the world, right? How do you change the world? So Bina, thank you for your time. I love you so much. Likewise. Thank you. I love you too. And I love your viewers. So thank you for this. Thank you for listening to the Life Giver Podcast. If you're enjoying these episodes, please share the podcast with other service couples that may benefit from the show. If you'd like more information about me or Life Giver, head on over to coreyweathers.com or life-giver.org.